on the morning of, of January 7th, you still went to work. I did. And this is, this is one of the things that I think um, that some of your critics on the left or, you know, never Trumpers uh, who are Republicans say, like, you know, you, you see your friend Alyssa Griffin, mm -hmm. Alyssa Farrah Griffin, go on TV. She's denouncing January 6th. Sarah Matthews, Stephanie Grisham, Secretary DeVos, Secretary Chow, others resigned that day. Secretary Mnuchin, you write in your book, was considering invoking the 25th Amendment. You continued to work there. Tell me why you went back, because obviously you feel very passionately about this and you've been very brave in your testimony, but you still, on January 7th, went back to work. No, I did. And, you know, I, I wish I had a glossy and short cookie cutter answer for you, Jake, but, you know, it's something that I still struggle with to this day. But I will say, and I, I would like to also reference what Alyssa did on that day, Alyssa Farrah Griffin. I remember sitting in the office, and I, I, I was very outspoken on January 6th and every day after that I strongly disagreed with right, what Right, internally, happened. yes. Correct, correct, internally. But when I saw Alyssa on TV that day, it was this moment for me where I sort of felt that split because on one hand, I was very upset with her. You know, she was one of my closest friends, and I was upset with her for a variety of reasons. But the one that I think is the most potent for this conversation is... I felt that she, what she did that day was disloyal. Right. And saying that now with the hindsight and the experience that I've had sounds ludicrous. Well, but, but it's an honest answer. I but it, but it is. And, it, but I, and I think that's the important part of this transformation period for me. Because on the other hand, when I saw her there, there, there was a little bit of envy. You know, I, I was proud of her for doing what she felt that she had to be doing and for using her voice. And I give Alyssa a lot of credit. You know, I, I eventually came to her side and she was the one that welcomed me. She was the first person that actually welcomed me and helped me get to this point. But I say all of this, Jake, because I, I did struggle with what I should do. I had committed to moving to Florida with the former president. And again, it's that push-pull inside of me where on one hand, I felt that January 6th happened because we, the staff, didn't do enough to stop it, that we, the staff, should have not let people around him that would have sh stroked this desire for him to overturn the election on January 6th. Yeah, you say in the book that you felt complicit. I mean, you're but honest I, about Correct, that. yes. But then there's, this, there's the other side of me where I, I was afraid to look disloyal. I was afraid to split from the world because once you're in that environment and have the access and have the insight and knowledge that you do, you sort of feel like there's a target on your back. So I, I, I did not move to Florida with him, but I stayed on payroll with him for several months after the end of the administration. Um, and I still had that, the, the moral dilemma inside of me through that, through that whole period. So and it's a push-pull of the one pole is um, doing the right thing. Correct. And then the, the other pole is loyalty and fear. Correct. Is that right? That, that's, that's fairly accurate. I also would like to say, though, you know, I, before I was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee, I, I did work to slowly start to separate. I wanted to start a new chapter in my career because I disagreed with not only what happened on January 6th, but I saw the trajectory of Republican politics. And I didn't want to be a direct part of that for the most part. Again, it was difficult. And I, I'm not trying to make excuses. I, I, I don't have a hero's complex over here. I, I know a lot of what I did was wrong, but, you know, I got to where I am today. Um, but it was an important year for me because I was able to look back and reflect on things that, one, that I was complicit in, 
but also understand the dangers of what we were doing at the White House. So there are a couple things in the book that I just want to ask you quick questions about. You write about Mark Meadows burning documents in the fireplace in the chief of staff's office. Now, he has said, or his spokesman has said, this was not about documents. They were just using newspaper to get the fire going. Uh, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. What, what do you think he was actually burning there? Was it newspaper? I, I can't speak to what exactly he was burning, I, but I am confident that it wasn't just newspaper. Do you think he was burning documents? I mean, you, su you suggest in the book that what he was doing could have been a violation of the Presidential Records Act. It could have been, yes. Um, you write about being at a Trump rally in Georgia, and Trump asks Meadows to meet with Hunter Biden's old business partner, Tony, partner, Tony Bubuleski. You write, quote, I had a weird feeling that we were in danger. I couldn't explain it, but the feeling was real. Why was, why was the White House Chief of Staff meeting with Tony Bobuleski? You're asking me the same question that I've asked myself since that I night. I mean, so random. That was, that was also, a, right, because we had been in public with Tony Bobulinski a yeah. few weeks before at the Nashville debate. So the fact that Trump and his associates but they were, were in contact. secretly, right? Se in secretly, this instance. yes. I mean, when Mark got off the plane, actually it was the campaign official that asked that they need, needed to convene a private meeting away from everybody's prying eyes. Um, you know, I don't have the answer to that. I didn't ask Mark, but Mark, after... We left, I wasn't in, I couldn't overhear what they were talking about, but Mark, I walked away with Mark. And Mark said something to me that, you know, reaffirming my loyalty to him. Um, mm. And it just left this unsettling feeling in me in that moment that, you know, there were things going on that were beyond my purview and that I wasn't sure what we were doing, but I knew that it wasn't right. Another example of this category of things beyond your purview that felt wrong to you. Um, Meadows takes what you believe is a classified binder, Crossfire Hurricane, which is the uh, Trump-Russia investigation, um, and um, he takes it to two far-right media figures who basically tow the MAGA party line, um, and Cipollone tells you there's classified information in that to get it back, and you get it back. Um, Meadows said, I don't personally get it back. But, but it, it gets brought it, back. It, it, it gets brought, brought back. back. Not uh, in binders, by the way. It was unbound by, unbound. by the time okay. it Okay. But, but um, Meadows says, no, everything he gave had been unclassified by Trump. Well, I would say uh, there's a reason those documents were brought back. And I, I would... That's a very dubious response, in my opinion, because, one, we got those documents back for a reason, and, two, those documents still have not been fully declassified by the Justice Department. Yeah, I mean, that's a potential law, break, um, law violation. If Correct, it, and that it, is also, show, it goes to show how there's a mentality, there was a mentality in the Trump administration of being frivolous with some of our, nation, with some, with some of our country's most sensitive national security secrets. And do we really want people like that back in power? One of, one of the other things that's, uh, that you overhear Trump say is when the Supreme Court refuses to hear that case from Texas, that wild case from Texas that has all these lies and things from Ken Paxson, the attorney general of Texas. Um, and Trump is livid. Mm -hmm. uh, and he starts yelling at Meadows. You know, we should have made more calls. We should have done this. We should have done that. I don't know exactly what could have been done. It's a Supreme Court. But um, then Trump says, I don't want people to know we lost. It's embarrassing. I mean, that's 
potentially of significance legally if he no, knows no. that he lost. Correct. But, you know, that's, and I elaborate this on this in my testimony too, where, you know, I, I can't climb inside the former president's mind and know exactly what he was thinking. But it's not just me that has come forward with information like that. General, General Milley has also said that he was in the former president's presence when he admitted that he lost. Alyssa Farrah Griffin as well. You know, I, I can't speculate about his actual mindset and his motivations behind this, but in that moment, it was clear to me that there was some concession. And I would also like to point out, Jake, that the president directed Mark to begin declassifying the Crossfire Hurricane documents before January 6th happened because he was worried that it, those documents would never get declassified under a Biden administration. So, you know, there's there was a mentality in that era of just chaos, to be frank, and it's happening in the West Wing of the White House. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't lost on people that Joe Biden had won the election and that he had won the election and it was a free and fair election. But yet January 6th still happened. One of the things I wonder, because you talk about this, this journey, and I don't want to belittle it, but it does sound like leaving a cult. I mean, it really does, because it's like difficult for you to leave. You're talking about loyalty and you're talking about fear of what happens to you if you leave. Uh, and you're also talking about like doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not trying to belittle it at all, but it does sound like when people talk about leaving a cult, it does sound like that. Um, but then there also is this inflection point where uh, you're basically told you're not coming down to Florida mm -hmm. uh, to join to, to, to join the president's staff at Mar-a-Lago, which is too bad. The president thought that was insufficiently loyal. Yeah, because you were insufficiently loyal. I guess they thought you were leaking some stuff, which, by the way, maybe you would have helped them avoid the classified documents scandal because you were... I did my best in everything that I was yeah. asked, Jake. <laughs> so, but one of the things I wonder is, do you ever think that if they had let you go down to Mar-a-Lago, what would have happened? Like... Would you, would you have testified? You would have been subpoenaed probably, but like, mm -hmm. it, would history have turned out differently? Would the push-pull still have gone on? Would you still have done the right thing if you were down in Mar-a-Lago? Like, what is that alternative history? I guess my short answer is I don't know because that's not what played it's out. It's not what happened. Obviously, Correct. you did the right but, thing, you did the brave I, thing. I, I, don't, I, I don't mean I to belittle it. I, no, no, you're not belittling it. Look, just, I haven't been, ever been, it, you say this, I have not been in a, a, a cult. I mean, we can sit here and debate whether the MAGA movement is a cult. No, no, I don't think it topic, is. I don't think it is, no, but no, the no, way but you describe I, it is, sounds correct. like it. Um, but what I will say on that is I, I would hope that I would have come forward to do the right thing still. But when you're in that environment, it becomes a lot more difficult. And I did get brought back into that environment. And for a short period of time when I first began doing my depositions with the committee. But I didn't feel empowered to comply completely. And also, Jake, if I'm being completely candid and frank, you know, I, I still felt that loyalty to him yeah. at the end of the administration. And I, I worry that if I had gone down to Florida, that that would have only grown and I would not have come forward. And whether or not my, what I testified to changes the trajectory of any investigation, I fulfilled what I was obligated to do under the oath that I swore to protect and defend the Constitution and the country. And I fulfilled the obligations of my subpoena. So to me, this is not about what I did and the impact that it has. For me, it's more about 
I was able to maintain my character and my integrity after I retained new legal counsel who empowered me and showed me the importance of telling the whole truth. So anybody that finds themselves in a situation like that, you know, I would just encourage them to listen to your conscience. And this, this moment's much bigger than us. So I guess the question, the big question then is this, um, what you did was the right thing, no question. But it was also, I think it's fair to say, more difficult, right? And there probably are other Trump people who want to do the right thing, but they have their own Trump world lawyers, like you had, telling them to say, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall, even though they could recall. And they're stuck. Um, why would they do the right thing? Do you regret doing the right thing ever? No, no. Why not? I mean, I'm glad I, you did the right thing. <laughs> don't get me wrong. You don't have to. I, look, I'm not asking for anybody to. No, I think it's no, important I, 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 to I, acknowledge that you did the right thing, but that's not the easier thing. No, that's correct. And I also want to be clear, though, like as I was writing the book with my fantastic collaborator, Mark Salter, who worked for I'm John McCain for yeah. decades. Um, and Mark and I had this conversation a lot, too, though, about like, what it actually meant to break from Trump world. And Mark and I had a lot of profound conversations about this mentality that I still had to break. I didn't write this book with the intention of trying to convince people that I did the right thing. I wrote this book with the intention to show my journey, and I, I don't love the word journey. It sounds a little like The Bachelor, but the journey that I had of being a Trump world insider. I'm, I'm not a Democrat. I still consider myself a Republican, I, but I don't consider myself part of what the Republican Party largely identifies with today, which is the Trump Republican Party, in, in my opinion. Um, but in this period for me, you know, I, I've never once doubted my decision to come forward and be truthful and be honest. And I had a conversation with a member of Congress who is a Republican member of Congress that did not serve on the January 6th committee. Oh, this is the person with the pseudonym in your book? Yes, Sam. Sam, right. Uh, now, I've been very, very open with Sam throughout this period about how I was struggling. Um, and we were on the phone one night and Sam told me, he was like, go look in the mirror. So I'll stay on the phone, go look in the mirror. This is before you this made is, your big decision. Correct, this yeah. is before I started backchanning to do, yes. Um, and I'm looking in the mirror, I'm on the phone with Sam, and he said to me, do you like what you're looking at? You're the only person that has to live with yourself for the rest of your life. Nobody else has to. Do you like what you're looking at? I don't mean your appearance, Cassidy. I mean, do you like the person that you are? And I hadn't liked who I was for a while. And I knew in that moment that I, I had to correct course for myself and come back to the person that I wanted to be and the person that I thought I, I saw myself becoming when I entered public service. The book is enough. The author is Cassidy Hutchinson. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank really you. appreciate it. I appreciate it.